Hello and welcome to another edition of Soccer to the Max as we are here live on the Twitch and the Facebook and the Twitter and of course if you don't catch us live at our crazy time that we record this show you can always uh, listen later on any kind of podcast service that you decide you know whether that's um, on Overcast, on Apple, on Google on whatever it is that you decide to listen to later. Uh, Spotify, you can listen there. You can also watch us on YouTube on video, and you can, you know, hit us up on the Twitter. I'm at WTMSean, and of course, at Squid Sporthead, Sportshead over there, Eric. And of course, this is all part of the uh, Greater WTM Network, which you can subscribe to. Uh, as well here on YouTube and get everything that we do, or you can just subscribe to WTN Network and all those other podcast services I just mentioned and get everything that we do, whether it's Eric's, uh, you know, game show or the Broadhurst and uh, Watkins Sports Report or, you know, many of the other shows, also the, the Radlitz shows as well with all his uh, entertainment stuff. They just reviewed that. Um was it a Secrets of Dumbledore movie and everything else? Um, if they do, they talk about metal music and TV shows and everything else under the sun there. So if you want your entertainment fix, we have that for you in the network. So uh, we're going to get started here. There's plenty of stuff to talk about. We got the CONCAP W draw, as we mentioned last week, uh, is set and ready to go. And the U.S. probably got the the harder of the draw, Eric. And then... Of course, we got Manchester United one more week, very close, even closer this week to getting Eric Ten Hag appointed as the official new manager. Of course, uh, you know they had to welcome in, welcome him in with a four 0 loss to Liverpool. Uh, no Cristiano Ronaldo for that one. Some scouts have left, so a lot of talk about possible changes to the what's going to happen uh, as we move forward. Rolf Ranick even talking about possibly 10 new players coming in this transfer window, which is crazy, Eric. We'll talk about that. And then, of course, speaking of moving out, MLS has, fired, has two teams that have fired two coaches in the span of a few days here as uh, Matias Almeida is gone from San Jose. And also now, as of pretty much right now, it's not official official, but it'll probably be official by the time you're hearing this out of, you know, DC United. Anyway, we've already got sources reporting that Hernando Sala is out for DC United. Let's start there. Uh, since it's the, the freshest of the two, Hernando Sala out, uh, you know, last year, DC United barely missed the playoffs. Uh, that was, uh, you know, it, it was, it was in Losada's first year getting acclimated these players and everything to the style, you know, pressing style and everything. And then obviously this year you win the first two. After that, you lose the next four. Uh, Losala's out there in the press talking about they need a third DP and they need more players to compete. A lot of things going on. The front office says that it's not just about this year. It's about last year as well. As a DC United supporter, what do you think about all this? I get that a lot of his complaints are legitimate. And especially going into this year, because we can look at that just the four match losing streak in MLS. We scored three times. Two of those were Ola Kamara in the first half against Austin. What do we do? 
red card, he leaves, we surrender three and we leave. But at the same time... I, I mean, three and ten minutes, we should know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That was a collapse. So we're not just talking about these sorts of on-field collapses. Behind the scenes, as much as you can say, oh, it was the front office not wanting to spend more, not doing this, getting that third designated player, which is true. At the same time, he was a guy who was very, very demanding. Not just like with that intense pressing style, but intense training, weight issues with players. And you had some guys step up and say, hey, it made me a better professional. But then you had a lot of others in that dressing room also with like, this is too much for us. We can't deal we want at least a little bit of wiggle room, and he wasn't giving that to them. So the front office decided, you know what? He doesn't have the dressing room. We're not getting the results on the pitch, even when things go well. Flower City Union in the U.S. Open Cup. You see a 3-0 win, but if you look at the first half, it was a struggle. Finally going ahead and opening the doors in the second half, getting that result, great, but it's just... Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that Every team had a rosy time at the Open Cup. There were some upsets there. You know, the Dallas went ahead on a penalty. I mean, they ended up winning, obviously, but I wouldn't say it was completely comfortable either. It was 2-1 for a large part of that game. I mean, when at any point, you know, the other team at Tulsa could have tied it up or – uh. so, I mean, I I feel like whenever we're, like, starting the Open Cup again after – having those those years away. I think it's it is a little bit of both sides here. Uh, like you're saying, Losada had complaints about the team. They did bring in like fifteen new players over the mm-hmm. the span of this season, which um, you know, th- that is a big number to change over from one year to another. I mean, you're gonna say that the front office didn't spend, but then you're gonna not gonna talk about they didn't bring in fifteen new players. Right. Uh, so that that's a lot to, to look at when you break it all down. Obviously, we're not talking about, you know, great players across the field. You can make the case that perhaps you're you're replacing you you let go of two of your best players and Paredes that left, Eric. Uh, I had oh, it at the Paredes. tip of my tongue and at uh, Paul Ariola, right? Paul Ariola. So you ship Paul Ariola over there for two million. Uh, was it allocation money? And then you send Paredes over to Wolfsburg. That's two two of your best players. And then you don't really replace them with players that are necessarily of equal value. And you can kind of see what he's complaining about there. Um, I But, you know, to be fair, your entire record in two seasons is 16, 19, and 5. Not great. You had a losing record and missed the playoffs, and if you would have made the playoffs, you would have made the playoffs with a 15 and 15 and five record. I mean, that's not great either. But fans and, and other supporters would say, but the team was fun to watch. Doesn't that count for something? Well, it counts for something, but at the same time, being fun to watch is good. It draws eyes to the screen. It draws fans to the stands. But what has DC United been known for? Not just being fun to watch, big names in success, especially in the early days. 
Right. Yes, this level of success is fleeting. It's hard to replicate again in the modern MLS climate. Completely agree. But if you have this big power in this, you know, European coach, we had brought him in from coaching in a Belgian side, you figure, okay, this is a level of, even if you were to say fall short of excellent, this is a level of saying, hey, we're going to step up and be built to contend. I think if the first year had gone a little bit better, you would have gotten a bit of a pass, especially with the 15 players. But again, being now with that good start in the dregs of the Eastern Conference, even only six games in, that's you'll get unacceptable very, very quickly. Oh, but couldn't you say that it's like early doors, right? We've seen what did we just say about NYCFC until they blew out RSL mm-hmm. because RSL decided to to make some bulletin board material. With with Tati Castellanos getting four goals, I mean, where has that been all season? You know, uh, Seattle has not been doing very well in in the league, and they're over there. They're over there, you know, about possibly, or they are the favorites as we talked about last week, and mm-hmm. possibly could be that first MLS team that wins the the Champions League in its current format. Mm-hmm. I and mean, we're talking about perennial, you know teams that you're expecting to do well they're not right. i mean well uh so this is a very early season and what's a long mls season shouldn't you be giving them time i mean also look at that three two three two loss i mean bill hamid basically coughed up a goal at the end so should you really be i get it part of it's last year and not making the playoffs but you got a long way to go here and you really do and I do get that. And you have like a lot of reports come out that the front office was torn about making the decision. Now, aside from even taking the Austin match out of it, where was the offensive life in this team? One goal in a span of three matches out of those four. And yes, while it is early doors, what could have been done that would have remedied that situation? And how long would you have expected to wait? It is another, okay, maybe setting some kind of points target. Hey, get six points in your next five or seven or eight. Or going on and on, let the losing streak go to five, six, seven, a 10-match winless streak. I mean, I'm not saying that these things could have happened, but... Once you get to the point to where there's more and more pressure and there's going to be more and more talk of letting Hernanos out of go, then the decision would have either been tougher or easier on an exponential scale the way you look at it. So it's kind of better to cut bait now. Yeah, I mean, but aside from the Austin loss, I mean, you can make the case that you're playing some pretty good teams, right? A Chicago team that has Shakiri mm-hmm. that has been playing better. Toronto has been improving. Um, you know, Atlanta, this is uh, prior to the big, huge loss that they suffered of Braguzan with a torn Achilles tendon and out for the year. Now you have a New England team that you, we've talked about how they're playing. You know, they're the supporter shield winners. They have not been playing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going, you're going to be playing at Audi Field. Um, I mean, yes, 
this next group of, of fixtures that you have, you know, Columbus, Houston, D.C., NYCFC, uh, with a lot of these being at home, three of the five, I mean, I wouldn't say you can say all of those are losses automatically. Uh, I think that giving him a little bit of time to – you're going to go through this during the season. You're going to get through a little bit of ruts and and times where you go on a win streak and, and whatnot. Yeah. And again, it doesn't necessarily matter so much what you're doing right now as what you're doing later in the season when you get closer to the playoffs. Right. But would you rather have this? And I'm putting this – I'm putting my fan hat on right now. I don't know if I would be able to go through another end of the D.C. United season again, going ahead, rallying back, having it right in the hands, and poof, it's gone. And if you dig yourself too deep of an early season hole, if you go on after the All-Star break, making these big, big runs and these great strides, it still may be too little too late. Because you'd expect at least some of these teams who are having these early season slumps to also figure it out as well. So, I mean, it's fair. That is possible that could happen as well. Bill Hamid had really nice things to say. Uh, he did mention that he thanked Losada for keeping it real with him. And he believes that he is destined to become a top manager at the top level. Um, you know, uh, that, that's one of your captains, one of your... Your mm-hmm. big time stars having a lot of good things to say about a manager that's leaving. Uh, I mean, that is obviously one way to look at it, the players. And then obviously the what I just mentioned about what David Casper had to say, the president of soccer operations, where he said it's not just about this year. Yeah. We weren't happy with the way things finished last year. Um, I now looking forward, uh, longtime assistant Chad Ashton who took over as interim after your favorite, Ben, Ben Olsen, uh, left in 2020. Uh, he's now the interim coach again, who will be until the end of the season, according to current reports. So he's not going to be ousted for somebody else in the midseason. He will be on until the end of the season and then supposedly given a fair shot to see if he can win himself. Casper had a statement that he says that he believes in the way that he uh, manages players and his in-game strategic match situations paired with his knowledge of the league is going to be a springboard to further progress. Um, our style of play enables us to compete at a higher level as we push forward for a successful season. So what do you, I mean, I don't know if you remember much of the time where Ashton was interim coach after Ben, but anything to say about Chad Ashton taking over now? I'm not mad. And I'm willing to give him a chance because escaping from the short shadow that was Ben at that time, it had a little bit of life. And now we can see, okay, it's a familiar, fresh voice. The players are going to get more of what they want as a whole as far as how the matches are approached. And I'm going to give him a fair shot. I mean... He's set up for a little bit of early success, as you mentioned, this next run that we had. And if we can start crawling back to 500 and crawling out of the basement, that's going to be some good initial progress. Fair enough. We'll see what happens with DC United going forward here. I'm sure uh, Eric will be letting us know what is going on with the team as we always discuss our 
uh, supporters if we have time at the our you know our teams we support at the end of the podcast if we have time. We should also talk about the much more dramatic departure of Matias Almeida, the Argentine who has been with the San Jose Earthquake since 2019. Of course, they did make the playoffs in that MLS's back tournament, which I don't really know if I count that as the same as the other, you know, years. It was all a big tournament, really. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention that entire season, wasn't it like the the last eight games, uh, the, their eight-game winless streak that they had, and they conceded 28 goals before they got into the playoffs? I mean, it's ridiculous. And uh, this year, they have started off absolutely terribly. They are just, uh, he's making a mockery of the team by missing press conferences on purpose. Uh, He tried to resign while telling the team that he deserves to be paid uh, out for the rest of the year, along with his assistants, his six Argentine assistants that have all been fired with him. They're winless in their their first seven games. Uh, He's been picking crazy teams every game it seems like it just seems like he's doing anything he possibly can to get fired on purpose and if the time has finally come eric but i mean it feels like when you let a coach come into a season with no extension or no decision you're kind of always setting yourself up for something here i mean he saw the writing on the wall from the front office he saw the writing on the wall from ownership and he's like okay why am I even waiting around knowing that I'm potentially a lame duck manager this mm-hmm. entire season? They're not giving me anything. They probably haven't sat down or anything or even scheduled any sit downs for negotiations. So it's like, I'm just going to do whatever. They're not going to let me quit and not pay the money or this and that. So I'm just going to go. This is going to send, and this has sent, a very troubling signal to fans and i just don't look at him necessarily i look at what's going on at the top because something like this could have been rectified even at the end of last yeah i mean but let's be fair i think also the earth i mean let's look at who's the actual owner of the team here john fisher has an absolutely terrible record as the owner of not just the Earthquakes, but the Oakland A's. Oh, you mean the baseball Uh, team that's drawn less than 3,000 fans twice already this year? Without those Oakland A's. Okay. And and I mean, also, if if that's the team that's being talked the most about relocation, if I'm an Oakland fan, why the hell would I show up? I know the team's not going to be here. What am I supporting? I think it's almost like they're protesting instead of actually showing up to the game they're they're protesting the inept ownership that is this man and the fact that he's been talking about he's been putting out feelers to try to sell parts of the club like to kind of give bits of ownership to other people to maybe see if somebody else will put money in where he doesn't want to put money in i mean who does that someone who's cheap Exactly. It's somebody that doesn't want to (laughs) It's like, wow, dude, like you bought, you decided to be an owner of this team. And instead of deciding, okay, you know what? I'm going to put the club up for sale. I don't want to spend this kind of money. Uh, I'm spending money in infrastructure instead of spending money on, on, on the pitch, on the, on the players where it matters the most, because guess what happens if the players win? If the team wins, 
oh, you get more people in the stands, right? There's there's more of an ambience around the team. And people want to buy your merch. More people want to buy things about the earthquakes, right? Not, not a lot of people other than the diehards are going to want to come support the earthquakes. If the team constantly is losing, that you got a manager that doesn't want to be there. You got uh, a front office that is trying their darndest to like pick up the pieces, but you're not helping. Mm-hmm. This is not a winning situation at all for a team that is historically, they've not been like the greatest team in MLS, but the team has some history. Yeah, right? they're, especially they're, in the earlier days. Yeah, you. I would put San Jose as one of my cornerstone franchises in MLS. I mean, I mean, they are. They used to be the class, right? In the yeah. early years, then they changed, and um, I mean, they they became the Houston Dynamo, and then they they were brought back again. They he's one of the owners that try that that fought to bring them back, and then this is what you do with the team. I mean, that seems very counterproductive. I just, I just don't know Extremely. what you thought was going to happen here. Like a lot of success and a, more importantly, a very high return on a very little invest. Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. If you don't take the risk to invest and you don't put in, you're going to get very little back. Just That's just how it is. That, um, that's economics in a nutshell. Let's look at this from Almeida's perspective. He has a record of 31 wins, 42 losses, 25 draws, very ter- 1.2 points per game average, a negative 33 goal differential, Good Lord. Uh, not great. Not great at all. He's also been, obviously, because Matias Almeida is Argentine, and he has history with other um, more prestigious clubs internationally. Uh, he has been getting offers for a long time, especially, you know, Mexican clubs. It does not surprising, right? Because he mm-hmm. coached Chivas. And yeah. The problem with coaching Chivas is once you coach Chivas, your your name's always always going to get bandied about when it comes to anything with Liga MX, you know. But the problem is his record at Chivas wasn't necessarily all that fantastic either. Yeah. And, and we had mentioned this. and We were talking about this before we came on. They finished in Liga MX no better than 11th. Nowadays, yes, that would get you in the reclassification, but this wasn't in those current days. And could you also say similar situations as far as financial or troubles with ownership at Chivas? Yes, but at the same time, even since he left, they haven't achieved so much of anywhere near their glory days. They are now, at best, a mid-table club. So you kind of wonder, okay... How good or how bad was he? Why does he always end up in these situations with these owners? What is going on in some of these decisions that none of us really know? Should we, though? I mean, he did win Copa Mekis twice. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's not the same as going and, and, you know, doing fantastic things. I mean, they... It's after that first year where he's not playing with the team, the, the the players that he really brought on. It's he had up and down times, but for the most part, like you said, they didn't finish very well at all. Mm-mm. And so that's the thing is Chivas is once again in a bad spot, and they're talking about him as the manager again. 
the problem with Almeida, which we saw, which forced out the GM uh, that they had previously, is he wants to be in control. And so he goes and he get he brings in former players of his, right? He brings in you know all this Argentine and Mexican talent, and then they eat up 30% of the salaries, but they don't really bring in much result. Right. So then they get rid of the GM who had allowed Almeida to kind of make his own choices, you know, Jesse Fronelli. And then they bring in Chris Leach, who says, okay, you know what? We're going to get rid of all these guys. And we're going to get that off our books. And we're going to start bringing MLS proven guys like Jeremy Abobase and uh, Jaime de Montero and try to win that way. And then Almeida gets upset because he doesn't get the people he wants. And this kind of starts that spiral, right? And it's just, I don't really know who's in the wrong here. Is it Fisher for not investing more in the team, which Almeida had pointed out many times? Or is it Almeida kind of sabotaging things as well? Either way, the Earthquakes haven't been good for a long time. They've only made the playoffs four times in the 14 years since they've returned to the league. There's a, it's, this is a big problem. It really league, is. Honestly. It is, because especially with the league that has the aspirations that MLS does, for a league that's going to go through the changes that not only it has in its last couple of years, but looking forward to the even bigger significances ahead of the World Cup in 2026. What do you always want? Your mainstay clubs, teams, franchises, however you want to look at it, they've got to be good. When one of them isn't, you've got to address that first and foremost. I don't know how it's going to be done if Don, Don may need to come in and have a sit down with John. Go ahead in the battle of monosyllabic first names. Duke it out for my sake. Let me be a fly on the wall, chip in suggestions. But something either internally within the league, within the earthquakes, it's got to sit down and say, hey, this has got to be done. This has got to be fixed. You know, this team brought in a manager that had won a lot mm-hmm. at Chivas. He didn't, and that, but let's see, that's the problem is he won in a league where you only have to be 12th out of 18th to get to the Liguilla. He's mm-hmm. really good at the competitions. He's really good at the cups, at the, at the knockout tournaments. What happened in the MLS's back tournament? They got to the quarterfinals, right? Yep. When it comes to actually managing throughout a league season, that's where he's not uh, a winner. You know, you win Clausura with Chivas, uh, you you get to the, I mean, they actually won the Champions League, I think the year after he left, when he went to San Jose uh, mm-hmm. in 2018. But it's it's incredible to me, you know, you this guy, somebody that brings in, that has so much everything right that that has all the this cv this this how he was as a player everything and then you can he you know turns into the guy that he is now wants to leave and then fisher like as incompetent as he is doesn't see that right and he has to get embarrassed to finally be like oh i gotta let him go now it's like you're prepared to just let him keep doing that to your team for the rest of the season until he embarrassed you. That that's what it took. Uh, it's just 
to me, it's it really looks a lot like the owner is just mm-hmm. not fit to be in MLS. He doesn't want to be here. Look at the way he treats the A's as well. Like not just the relocation part, but also just to me, it's it's incredible. It's just it's crazy to me that you're wanting to own an MLS team. Oh, you had this PayPal park. Great that you you made this uh, soccer specific stadium, but you're not doing a whole lot to make sure that it stays filled. Right. Right. You're- I mean, you can make it look, but so nice and have that in a service purpose. But are you getting butts in? No. What happens when you don't? You lose money. And it's sad because you had the MLS's all time leading goal scorer, Chris Wondolowski, for all mm-hmm. those years, and you wasted him. And, and it's and for Wando's sake, you ask yourself with everything in his career. You put him in a lot of other clubs. What could have been? Exactly. You never know. He was just so loyal that he didn't leave. And he he could have gone to so many other teams, honestly, in MLS. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say definitely if you have the subscriptions of The Athletic, go read Sam Stasekel's, uh great article on Matias Almeida and John Fisher. And um, he has some great points in that article. Uh, but there's a quote here that uh, Francisco Cabo, who just signed this year with the Quake, that he gave the two day in it. And he says, first, let me say I'm grateful to be in this organization, but this organization is missing a lot of things. And the people in charge need to realize that San Jose doesn't have stars. San Jose is not the one that spends the most. Do you think that MLS looks at San Jose and thinks that we can win the championship without spending? I don't think so. But that's on San Jose. They need to change it. If they want to win, they have to spend and make things better all around. Ouch. That's one of your players saying that. <laughs> one of your players says that. Calling that is... you out, man. Yeah, I mean, but the problem is, you know what? John Fisher doesn't talk. John Fisher doesn't go and have press conferences. He doesn't he doesn't tell you what's on his mind. He speaks to spokespeople. I mean, that should tell you everything you need to know. Because when the owner wants to say something. Maybe they're not Jerry Jones or whatever, but they go and no. talk when they want to talk, right? Yeah, you like, don't have to be in public in everybody's face all the time. But if it's your words in a big moment, you organize and you hold court. Nobody stops you, and it's encouraged at times. But this, well, uh, really, I... Yeah, I mean, the A's would have never gotten where they are if it weren't for Billy Bean. If he would have never had Billy Bean, the A's would be even worse, like, a gazillion times worse than they are. He's not helped at all in that regard. He says he won't sell the A's. He's not really ever talked about whether he'd be interested in selling the Quakes, but sadly it's nowhere near the mark where Don Garver would have to get involved and finally say something. But man, you really hope for those earthquake fans, uh, supporters that are like, have been there that they do something because it's absolutely terrible for this, uh, the earthquakes that they're this bad and have been that bad for a while. Uh, so now the MLS next pro quakes two coach is going to take over on an interim basis. Alex Covello. Um, he will be in there in charge of the tactics in the lineup. Of course, Leach, who we already talked about is going to be, uh, the one trying to get some players in and everything else. Let's see if they improve, but things don't look good uh, for San Jose at the moment. 
So uh, let's go ahead and go into the women's side of things. Uh, as we mentioned, the CONCACAFW draw is out. And, man, I think the U.S. got the harder of the two uh, groups, Eric. Um, they've got Rivals Mexico, the only team that had them give them a loss in qualifying in 2010. Uh, Jamaica, who are the ones that the other team that made the World Cup uh, in 2019, along with Canada and the U.S. And you got Haiti, who I I said was one of the teams to look out for. When, you know, before this draw actually happened. And I got to tell you, I think this is good for the U.S. women. Like, let's hopefully we see some some tough games for them. Absolutely, because this is the kind of something that Vlako Ananovsky would have just dreamed of. He's like, okay, I'm sticking to having his own players. I'm trying to get them a lot of experience, especially now as you're getting towards the tail end of this World Cup cycle now, halfway through an Olympic cycle. So it's like, okay, when do we get our first big test? These are it. This is a test for him. How many veterans in what way does he want to really bring in still? How is he going to manage this tactically, especially the fact that you're facing Mexico on home soil? All these exactly. matches are going to be in Monterrey, and you're facing Haiti, a team dangerous and very little to lose. And you know your focus has got to be ideally winning the group so you can avoid Canada as long as you possibly can, especially in terms of Olympic qualification. World Cup qualification, you would think doable, expected, even though you're going to get some bumps in the road. But if you're trying to aim for both, you really have to go ahead and say, all right, we've got to stamp our foot on this. How are we going to do it so we can, at a minimum, get to a final? Yeah, I should note that Haiti won its four qualifiers by a margin of 44 to nil. If you wanted to know that Haiti is going to be scoring some goals, there's uh, there's one right there. I. I I mean, you would think U.S. obviously going to get through the group and you would win. But again, Mexico being at home, that's a huge change there. And we've seen how well they've improved. Having the uh, Liga Mekis Femenil there is only in, in making those players even better. Um, it's That's going to be a, a tough game. And it's the last game that they play against each other mm-hmm. as well. So here is the schedule for that uh, tournament as uh, I should mention that Canada, of course, got the three that we haven't talked about, Costa Rica, Panama, and Trinidad and Tobago. Remember I mentioned that Trinidad and Tobago were the only uh, one of the group winners that actually dropped points. They drew against uh, Guyana, so you would think that just based on those results, they are perhaps the weakest team. Right. Obviously, you don't want to just outright say that and then uh costa rica i think is eight two and two in their last uh games and you know panama has done uh decently well uh but this is the way it looks so july 4th independence day you got usa and haiti mexico jamaica um then you got usa jamaica haiti mexico and that last round 
uh, July 11th with actually all the teams are going to play on July 11th. Uh, interesting that they chose that instead of having the going back and forth like they are on the other ones. It's uh, Mexico, U.S., Jamaica, Haiti. Man, it'll be very interesting to see where that winds up and who gets those two spots. Remember that two teams that finish in third, they go to an intercontinental playoff. Mm -hmm. It's a 10-team intercontinental playoff to see who gets uh, three spots, if I'm not mistaken, for the uh, World Cup as well. So as long as you don't finish in last, you win something. Right. Uh, in this CONCACAF W. So, and you'd have to, that again, if you're looking at the the squads, if you're looking at the teams here, this is going to be a very, very interesting group. If you're talking about, like, I guess a group of death or whatever, the U.S. certainly got that one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is going to be very exciting uh, to see once we get to those, uh, those games. We are going to be doing a, like, team preview or – um, what is it getting to know your teams here as we head into c- getting closer to July 4th? So at some point uh, between when we get to May and then going all the way up to July, we will be doing uh, those previews along with our World Cup team previews, which the World Cup team previews start next week. So we will have our regular episode and then we'll also have an extra episode that you'll see uh, that same day, probably, that will start our World Cup team preview, which I, I think we mentioned last time, we're going to start with Iran, which is in the U.S.'s group. We're going to start with them and then kind of make our way through until we get to those pot one teams and then CONCACAF all the way up to the World Cup. So from starting next week, every single week, we will have a World Cup team preview um, for uh, one of the teams. So. As we go through each week, we'll tell you what the team is next week so you can kind of uh, get familiar with that team and uh, see what you think uh, will be the finishing uh, spot for that team. But let's do it, Eric. We always do way too early predictions for CONCACAF W. You're just going to go straight up U.S. Mexico? Like, no. I I will say, oh, because I want to give Haiti a little bit of extra credit, but the problem is, oh, I wish it was a little bit of a different final matchup because I'm going to be honest. My sort of benchmark for this group, and I will say it now, for the U.S., I'm setting the bar a little bit low, and that's for a reason. I think five points in my mind would be drawing. I, I mean, I, I think you still have to expect that you're supposed to be getting nine here. I know you're expecting nine, but I mean, at the same time, we know Mexico is going to be gunning. They could get a draw. Haiti right. coming out of nowhere, a surprise result. That's a draw. The only three points I can really guarantee is against Jamaica. But that said... Even then, Jamaica's not an easy team to play either. I, I think, like you said, Eric, it's Expected. I, I would say the only game you're allowed to draw it's Mexico because they're at home. Right. Um, the other games you have to win. I would say at the, at the most, if you're not getting seven points and winning on some kind of goal difference, I think you you're having an issue here. But like I said, I hope there's a tough challenge there for the U.S. women. But it, it what what if you do have a shock? I mean, what yeah. what would it be like to have to have to talk about the U.S. women in a negative light? You know, it's it would be weird. It would be weird because they're so great at 
And I mean, outside the Olympics, which I think that was a necessary evil, right? That was one of those like, okay, we need to do this because we need to change the guard a little bit. Right. A little bit of a wake-up call, you know, right. signaling a passing of the... T- I'm going to be bold. I am going to give Haiti that love. I think the U.S. can go through and win the group, but I think Haiti mixed Mexico for second place. Interesting. I, I think Mexico, with how much they've improved having the Liga and everything, is going to show out in this tournament being at home. They're definitely going to want to show up and, and tell people, hey, we have arrived. Mm-hmm. We are now going to make the strides that we've seen the Canadian men do, and we are going to tell you that we are at that level. Maybe not at the top, top, top level that Canada and the U.S. have been for so many years, but Mexico's right there, and they're going to be dangerous. And I think uh, Haiti might surprise people, definitely get that third spot, and then Jamaica winds up in fourth. I think it's certainly uh, Canada and the other group for sure, Uh, and then Costa Rica I think will wind up being in second. Uh, Panama gets third, and then Trinidad, unless they surprise there and get better, uh, you would think that round up uh, the bottom part of that. That uh, one I definitely there. agree with. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're going to still have the showdown between Canada and it'd be very interesting if we what happens with a Mexico Canada game in Mexico. Uh, if Canada is able to overcome or if Mexico delivers a surprise, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the U.S. definitely, if uh, they they kind of win out, if they're able to win the group, they they would get the I guess easier team to play. I get you could call that in Costa Rica, yeah. Uh, where where Canada you would think would wind up with Mexico, so definitely gonna be a fun thing to talk about all these teams and the players leading up to the tournament. But it'll be here before you know it, um, as it's one of the only bright spots of soccer in the summer because. You know, with the World Cup being in in November now, you don't have those summer tournaments that you're used to. It's going to be a weird summer this year. I mean, that's the one that you could say. The women can't say that they're going to be overshadowed by something. No, they can say that they they have the summer to themselves, really. And and we'll see how much those those, uh, preseason tournaments should be interesting, too, because you're going to have players that are going to want to show out. Mm-hmm. As as we're in that full, we, we are in the World Cup year, but that will be in the World Cup like time frame of okay, what we do in this this small bit of the season matters because that World Cup's going to be coming soon. Exactly, so. as you get you know June, July. Now you're talking four or five months out. That's when you really want to make your push and be like, hey, even though it's preseason, you're going into the league season with all of that crazy scheduling. Make that big impression before you get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, certainly. So the last thing we're going to cover here, I should mention that the U.S. men have uh, scheduled, it looks like, one of their friendly games, the first one on July, July, June, June 1st, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, June 1st, it will be uh, Morocco. It will be the U.S. and Morocco, which I think is a great I, I think especially if for if 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 Marco can get ZH to come out of retirement, you're talking about a a team to watch. They're in that group with Canada that we know that they're going to be a tough team to oust. Uh, we know what kind of trouble they gave Iran in their group in 2018. Um, they have some really good players and Hakimi as well. Um, that's a 
that's a team I really want to see the U.S. match up against. Uh, that should be a fun game to watch. And it looks like Uruguay is going to be coming in on the 5th um, after they get done with their game with Mexico. So uh, it's probably going to be um, Morocco, Uruguay, and then you have the two Nations League games. And then you have that third game that you still got to uh, figure out there. And then those Nations League games in particular, hosting Granada, location still to be determined. Okay, but then making a trip down to El Salvador on the Again, 14th. where you yes. drew nil-nil to start out the World Cup qualifying. Let's see if that, if that young team has learned anything uh, since the last time they were there. Let's get on with it. We know we got to talk about it. That match will shoot at a moment. Eric, uh, I don't know if we really need to talk about the game. Uh, first of all, I should say uh, our our kindest uh, condolences and regards to Ronaldo, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo for losing his uh, – for um, the passing of his baby boy. Um, that was absolutely, you know, tear-jerking and sad. Terribly tragic. Yeah, terrible. And, you know, he's – he, you know, he said it himself that he's thankful for um, having the, you know, his children that he does have and, uh, you know, that he's always going to be in their hearts there. Uh, Ronaldo Jr. actually with the main United uh, youth team. So, uh, you know, that maybe, maybe he does. One, uh, you know, hopefully Ronaldo doesn't pull him out of the, the United youth team if uh, he gets um, – like made to leave or anything, according to reports of Eric Ten Hag is already figuring out what to do with Ronaldo. I don't know that you really need to be worried about what you do with Ronaldo. I think you got to worry about what you do with the other players on this team. Uh, instead, what a shellacking 4-0. What a terrible uh, game that was. Uh, it um, looked like Liverpool was on the playground. I mean... Were you saying yeah. something about Mo Salah's form? And how he's yeah. been see? played. But, okay, yeah. Yeah, see, that's all it takes. You go play Manchester United, you, you get your form <laughs> back immediately. So it, is, it, it doesn't matter. Look, after they lost to Everton, it really – and that's, that's what it shows, though. Look how that team plays when you don't have Ronaldo in it. You don't mm-hmm. have that one guy that is there, you know, making sure. I mean, but again – they lost what five nil in the other game. They've lost nine nil in both games. Uh, there's a stat that I saw: the only team that they've lost worse against in one season was Sunderland, eleven nil in eighteen ninety two. Eric, eighteen ninety two. Now let's be fair: the first division was only about maybe six years old, a decade at the oldest. So. All right, saying that out loud, I think you've got a point. You've got a point. Again, 1892, Eric. Well, I mean, I mean look, God. Sunderland, so, to be fair, Sunderland were giants then. That oh. you were only a couple of years off of Preston North End <laughs> completing an unbeaten league season. Come on now. Uh, okay. It was a different world back then. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure was. <laughs> sure was. Um <laughs> I mean, nothing like today, but I'm just saying, like, (laughs) think about that from 1892 to 2022. How bad have you been this year? Look at that. It's it's absolutely awful. You can't really point at anything that you look at the team and go, oh, they've improved this under Ralph Radnick. They've improved nothing under Ralph Radnick. Where have they improved at all, Eric? 
You tell me. Um. Well. Okay. Uh, I got nothing. I honestly nothing. have nothing. <laughs> not nothing exactly. Nothing because they have not improved at all. So, like, let's look at this from a perspective of who's supposed to who's supposed to leave this summer. Okay, so Edison Cavani, who's hurt right now, he leaves mm-hmm. on a free. Yep. You know, that's that's four million off the book. Okay. So Juan Mata, three million off the books. He's gone. I mean, he hasn't really done anything. I can't. I don't know. Understand even why uh, Ralph Randick is playing him. It just kind of seems to like give him some some love before he goes. Jesse Lingard, twenty two million off the books. He leaves on a free. He's been wanting to leave. I mean, they they sent him on loan because they hadn't been playing him, and all of a sudden he starts getting played um, because I guess they they need people because they have so many injuries going on. Uh, you've got. Who Paul Pogba, who's pretty much going to leave sixty million off the books there. He's going to leave on a free, and then Heading Nemanja back Montes, to Italy, yeah, probably, and six million off the books for him. He's going to leave. I mean, those are the ones that are going to leave on a free. Let's let's look at some some other players that might need to be on their way out. Why are you playing? Why is Phil Jones even playing? You're making, starting Phil Jones in a game against Liverpool. Making up the numbers. I, I At this point, you're throwing things against the wall. You're throwing things against the wall. I, I don't get it either. I don't I don't understand this. Like, Instead of trying to figure out who is actually your best squad, you're, you're just – every game it seems like he just puts out players. And, and it, that's, that's the problem. It's like, okay – you know that even though you know you're not going to get the permanent job you thought you were, but he's get still to supposed of- to be the technical director. Right. And this is my point. So it's like, okay, you know, all right, who are my best players? Who are the team's best players to fit in a certain system? You've known about this thing with Eric Ten Hag for a while. You know how he plays. It's someone 4 3 3 pressing this and that. Who would you have as your best players to maybe fit in that system? Maybe making little tweaks, but then you figure out, okay, Eric, this is what you've got. There's been nothing in that direction whatsoever. I can't even say feasibly, oh, well, maybe it's for this position or maybe shop window for this player. It's like, it's a whole bunch of confusion. Yeah, I mean, you would imagine that Mason Greenwood would be gone uh, after this season, if they can even figure that out, because obviously the allegations against him have made it to where he has not played since that came out, and right on Manchester United for doing that. Uh, it's, honestly, Marcus Rashford is a shell of himself. Uh, I don't know if Eric Ten Hag will help with that, perhaps. Um, perhaps getting a different kind of player, or I mean, a different coach, a different word in your ear might help. And he just really looks out of it. And then you start him as your main center forward. I I mean, I know he doesn't really have options, but it's just, I know, but at the same time, he's not that guy. And I get, Oh, you don't have any sign of secondary or tertiary tactic for these players, but it's like, you knew you were setting yourself up for something ugly. Nevertheless. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, They've got holes to fill in everywhere, everywhere. And 
Uh, I think Rafael talked about like seven, eight, ten players that they got to bring in in one transfer window. Yeah, good luck I with would, that. I, good luck with that. Not only good luck with that, but it's just like that is a lot of uh, a lot of turnover. And are you going to be able to bring in the quality of player and not just the player? Because you're supposed to have brought in quality at every part of your spine, and they haven't been performing. Rafael Varan has been getting hurt, and then not doing a whole lot. Uh, it doesn't help that the, his partner, Harry Maguire, has had probably his worst season. And then you go forward that right now. Both your center midfielders are hurt. So you're having to play Modic and Pogba, and we know how that works out. And then you're having to play Jesse Lingard in a spot that's not for him. I would have played Lingard up front instead of Rashford, honestly. The only player that you could say Ragnick has found is Alanga. Mm-hmm. Alanga is the only player that you can give Ragnick credit playing, and he's actually been a positive for the for the squad. Everybody else, I mean, I can give or take Tellez and Dallow um, instead of Luke Shaw and Wambasaka, but it's like honestly, it's Ronaldo, Alanga, and. De Gea have been the players. And then you've had so, some moments with Bruno Fernandez. Only moments, though. It's crazy, Eric. Five out of eight seasons, David De Gea is going to be your best player. And again, five seasons, no silverware. None. Uh, this it, hasn't happened. It, it No, it hasn't happened. And honestly, under Alex Ferguson... Never was a goalkeeper player of the year. Only nope. three times was a defender player of the year. Vidic, the most recent in 2009. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. How this, this is an attacking team, a team that always you didn't have to worry about. They scored goals. They, I mean, yeah, Ronaldo's put in goals. He's had two back to back hat tricks. I mean, look, that dude, you couldn't really ask more. From no, not at all. What is one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player of all time? And it's like, even then, I mean, good lord, it's just, it's it's beyond Ralph Ragnick. I think at this point, it's not just him; it's the players. The players don't, they're not, they don't have somebody going in there and telling them, "Hey, you're not going to play if you don't shape up." And hopefully, Ten Hag is that guy that's going to get in there and be like, "Listen, out of here, out." You're going to go play the reserves, go do something else. You're out of here. And that that's the thing that Radnick did not do that I, I think was needed. Like, that's the one thing I would have said about Conte. You know, Antonio Conte would have, whoever was being a poison, he would have taken mm-hmm. him right out. Oh, yeah. So, uh, it's just, it's sad. It's sad to see. And the problem is, you're going to have to, we're going to have to keep talking about this for until... We start seeing some some things happen. Uh, like I said, some head scouts are out from the squad today. Uh, Jim Lawler, who's been there for 16 years, he was a part of some of the Fergie years. Uh, and he had stayed around, and he's been around for all these managers that have come in. And he's unfor- he is now stepping down as chief scout. We'll have to see if Eric were, who will replace him. And also uh, Marcel Bout, who came in under Louis Van Hall, he's been there for eight years, is uh, gone as well. So 
some movement happening in the scout department, which obviously you could say Manchester United has not been great at doing for so long now. And with Erling Holland being, you know, the the handpicked guy to to lead at Manchester City, oh, things just don't look good. Things don't look good for uh, Manchester United on on so many fronts. Never I mean, thought I would really see the day where Manchester would be blue. Ugh. Totally blue, right? Totally blue. So, what do you think is like the prime target that they need to make sure this is who you need? Not, not, not a player, but I'm saying that the position that like you definitely have to make sure you shore up in this transfer window. I think for me, you need to go find if you can. Go find you a defensive midfielder, a number six that is actually a number six. I, that I mean, plugs the hole between the defense and that next part of the midfield or the forward line. Well, I, I would somewhat agree with the number six, but again, looking at Ten Hag's system and kind of where they would place the numerical advantages. I'm not even saying striker out and out. I initially would have thought, yes, focus on your wingers. They are going to be really the most important, along with that number six, because you're not really using a number 10 attacking midfielder. No, more like a seven and an 11 in that front four, three, three in that front three. So that way, when you get the ball and can have it in those spaces, you can have someone that could make those inside runs and going up to the box. Yeah, I mean, we we have seen Edson Alvarez flourish under Ten Hag, you know, as as mm-hmm. that number six. So, just saying. Those those, those, uh, those would be my suggestions. I think between all three, or between both of us, I think we're getting somewhere. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to get a striker. Oh, a yeah. striker that you, uh, aside from Ronaldo, which again, I would be very surprised if he stayed just because we know how much he wants to win. We know how much he wants to get the accolades and he's not going to do that with what is an absolute huge project. It's going to take years. Now, Ronaldo, Um, I'm just going to say this. We thank you for your service, your two stints. Give Eric some faith and leave your kid right where he is, at least for now. If things and things at the top don't change in a couple of years, the Glazers are still on their stuff. Hey, you tried, but just saying, maybe by the time you know your son's ready for the senior team, know what I'm saying? Second generation, family business. That's all I'm saying. That's that's all I'm saying. Throwing that out there. Certainly, yeah. Um, Yeah, I, I just think that you've got, obviously you've got way too many holes you've got to figure out if you're Manchester United but you really do I think the spine of the team needs to change and you got absolutely goalkeeper is fine obviously in De Gea but other than that striker your defensive midfield and your defense obviously I'm you're not going to get rid of Hey Maguire you're not going to really get rid of Iran probably but you need to figure out what if is your best if, pairing? Yeah. I think if I think Lindelof, you know he's good. But aside from that, it's like you don't really know what you have. And if you're keeping Maguire, don't make him captain. This 
It's oh, not yeah. working with him as captain. Ronaldo should have always been the captain to me. Uh, I saw that video of behind the scenes of him like rallying everyone and and everything in the tunnel, and it's just like, why is him Maguire the captain again? It's like this is your guy. This is the guy they all look up to. This is the man. Like, yeah, just don't. I didn't get that. But um, yeah, uh, there's a lot, lot to do. Uh, the summer is going to be very interesting for this team. Somehow on planet Earth, even though Arsenal won uh, today, they still have a shot at fourth. Um, they would have had a better shot, obviously, if Arsenal would have lost. But Arsenal still has to play Tottenham. So I, if you're a Man United, you got to hope for a draw in that game or something. But it's just it's incredible to me how bad this team has been. And they still have a chance at being at fourth. Because everybody else around them keeps dropping points. West Ham dropped points again. Uh, even though they they probably got their eye more on the Europa League at this point. Uh, especially with Barcelona getting knocked out. So, will be interesting. Very interesting to see what happens with this team. Uh, going forward, that being said, don't have to wait for us too long. Uh, so, it just kind of depends on what's going to happen with uh, my work week. And then also, you know, what's going on with Eric. We may show up on a Sunday. We may keep showing up on Wednesdays. But either way, we are going to have another episode. We'll have our first team preview as well. Like I said, Iran is going to be our first team that we're going to be talking about. And so, like I said, after that, expect team preview for the World Cup every week along with our show. And then also we'll get into that CONCAP W as well to talk about those players heading into July and those teams. Um, so what will await us in this next week in soccer? Who knows? But it's always fun figuring out and talking about what does happen when we get there. Um, best of luck to Zach Steffen to be able to the next time he plays, Eric. Uh, but until then, uh, enjoy enjoy the games. Uh, big one this week with uh, Dortmund and, uh, and Bayern on ABC, of all things, at noon. Um, anything to say about your, uh, beloved Orlando? Good or... win over the Rowdies, keeping the I-4 Cup in our hands. Use this momentum, let's keep it going, because right now, times are okay. And again, with early doors, I've at least got some team to hope for. Don't, and also, uh, my teams have been not great. A- aside from Dallas winning in the Open Cup. Uh, it has not uh, been great. I mean, I Manchester United lost. I had uh, the the loss of Milan big to enter three nil in the Italian the Coppa Italia. Um, I also uh, via Valencia lost to Villarreal two nil. My lord, I mean, it was. I felt like it was just the the week for all of my teams to do terribly. Um, Marseille lost to PSG. I mean, that's kind of expected, but still, I mean, you know, you still don't want to lose. They got to play again. I think it's tomorrow um, against Nam. So we'll see. It's just, man, uh, not been a week. Not been a week at all. Our teams. Until, uh, until next time. <laughs> see you later, everybody. Peace.